Welcome to Pro Life in 7 Minutes, the show where I spend over 20 minutes teaching you how you can persuade a pro choice person in only 7. I'm your host, Katherine Burrow. I'm the co founder and executive director of the Abortion Dialogue Academy, also known as ADA. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today's episode is going to be on bodily rights arguments. Now, a quick note if you haven't listened to season one of this podcast yet, I would go back and do that before you listen to today's episode because I'm going to talk about some of the concepts we covered in that previous season. Now, the first thing you need to learn about bodily rights arguments is how to properly identify them because a true bodily rights argument is very rare to come across. And it always surprises people when I tell them that because of of two reasons. The first is is that bodily rights is very popular in like pro-choice philosophy. But as I said on previous episodes, just because something's popular in like academia does not mean that it's actually popular amongst like an average pro-choice person. Additionally, slogans like my body, my choice are really, really popular. And so I think that makes people think that all of those people who are saying those slogans are promoting a bodily rights argument. But a lot of times that's not actually the case. So what I teach volunteers to do before they get too far down the bodily rights rabbit hole is to ask our bodily rights clarification. Ask the per-choice person, are you saying that even if it kills a person, it should be legal for a woman to have an abortion because of bodily autonomy? Now, 90% of the time, the per-choice person is going to look at you and say, well, I don't think it's a person. And so what they're really saying when they say my body, my choice is, I don't think the fetus is a person. I think there's only one person in this equation. And because I view the fetus like a tumor, I think it should be my choice when I get a tumor removed from my body. See how that sounds like a bodily rights argument because the word body is in it, but it's really at its core, a personhood argument. And so what you need to talk to the pro-choice person about is not bodily rights, but rather personhood. So go and review season one, episode seven for a recap on how to talk about personhood arguments. Sometimes, though, you will have a pro-choice person who will say, yes, I think that even if it kills a person, a woman should have a right to an abortion because of bodily autonomy. No one has the right to use her body without her consent. Now, this is a true bodily rights argument. Bodily rights arguments are all about consent and your right to refuse someone else using your body without your consent. So bodily rights arguments were popularized by Judith Jarvis Thompson in her 1971 paper, In Defense of Abortion. Now, in that paper, Thompson presents a lot of thought experiments, but the most famous one is her violinist thought experiment. In her violinist thought experiment, Thompson asked readers to imagine that you've been kidnapped by the Society of Music Lovers, and when you wake up, you find yourself hooked up to a world-famous violinist who has a rare kidney disease and needs to use your body to filter his blood for nine months. Now, Thompson argues that while it would be kind and charitable to remain hooked up to the violinist, you should not be legally required to, even though unhooking would result in the violinist's death. And then Thompson argues that this analogy is analogous to pregnancy and that no woman should be legally forced to be life support for the fetus. Now, fun fact about this paper before we dive into the arguments and how to respond to it. So Thompson begins the paper with the claim that we're going to assume for the sake of this paper that the fetus is a person like you and I. 
because that's what this paper is all about. It's about showing that even if the fetus is a person, abortion should still be legal because of bodily autonomy. Now, what's funny, though, is when you get to the very last sentence of her paper, she says the following. At this place, however, it should be remembered that we have only been pretending throughout that the fetus is a human being from the moment of conception. A very early abortion is surely not the killing of a person, and so it's not dealt with by anything I have said here. (laughs) Which I just love that line because here is the queen of bodily rights, and at her core, she has a personhood argument, which is very common. Like Even sometimes when you meet someone who does genuinely promote a bodily rights argument, they also simultaneously have a personhood argument. So keep that in mind. Also, you'll notice in this quote that she uses the word human being and the word person interchangeably to mean person. But in both cases, she's talking about person in the philosophical sense, not in the biological sense, which goes back to, if you remember in season one, episode four, when I talked about the embryology trap and how protest people will do this and how it confuses pro-lifers. It's always fun to see examples in literature of these concepts that I'm teaching you because they really do hold true when you're talking to pro-choice people. Now, if you're having a conversation and the pro-choice person you're talking to is familiar with the violinist thought experiment, they might present it in the conversation. But most times that people bring up a bodily rights argument in conversation, they do it by making an analogy to organ donation. You'll hear people say things like, we don't force people to donate their kidneys, so why are we forcing women to donate their uteruses? They'll talk about how the woman is essentially forced to be life support for the fetus. Sometimes you'll even hear people talk about how dead bodies have more rights than women because we're not allowed to cut them open and use their organs without consent, and they're not even living, but we force women to give their body to the unborn when we make abortion illegal. This is also the whole idea of consent to sex does not equal consent to pregnancy. If you You've ever heard people say that before, which typically pro-life people like they hear that phrase and they're just like, that literally makes no sense. Procreation is one of the main functions of sex. And this is a great example of things that pro-choice people say that get a little lost in translation. So that is a bodily rights argument. When people say consent to sex does not equal consent to pregnancy, they are making a bodily rights argument. So if you've been super confused by what on earth this silly sentence means, that's what it is. So you'll probably notice the theme here. All of these arguments are about consent to use one's body. It's this idea that women should not be legally forced to give their body to another person without their consent, even if the refusal of that consent results in that other person's death. Now, these organ donation analogies and Thompson's violinist thought experiment are not actually analogous to pregnancy. And you're going to show that to the pro-choice person with a different thought experiment that is more analogous. But before you do that, the first thing you need to do is build some common ground. You want to build common ground with the pro-choice person. You want to acknowledge that, yes, bodily rights are important. It's important that we protect people's bodily autonomy. People should not have their body used by other people without their consent. Obviously, we agree on all of these things. And after you say all that, you'll present what I call the milk machine thought experiment. So I have a funny origin story about this thought experiment. We were revamping our bodily rights training when I was pregnant with my oldest. And at the time, I had really bad morning sickness and I was very, very miserable. To try and keep my mind off the nausea, I would binge watch TV shows where I thought the people in it were having a worse time than I was. Uh, So my favorite to binge watch was a show called Criminal Minds, which if you're not familiar with the show, it's one of those CSI type shows where it's a group of criminal profilers and they're out 
there trying to track down serial killers. So in my mind, that was who was having a worse day than me, people who had been literally abducted by mass murderers. <laughs> I should give you a sense of how unpleasant morning sickness can be. Uh, so I was watching the show, and it was kind of a combination of pregnancy brain and the show that, that births this thought experiment. So the thought experiment goes like this. Imagine a deranged man has a newborn who's allergic to formula, so he kidnaps a lactating woman and hooks her up to a breast pump machine that automatically takes the milk from her body and feeds it to the newborn baby. He then leaves because, well, he's deranged and crazy. And the woman in captivity finds the manual that explains how the machine works. And she learns that there's only two ways she can safely escape or unhook from this machine. The first is, is that the machine will automatically release her in nine months when the baby is weaned, or the machine will automatically release her if the baby dies. Now, this is a horrible situation for this woman to find herself in, in some ways worse than pregnancy. All that being said, though, it shouldn't be legal for this woman to kill this innocent newborn child just because it's using her body without her consent. Now, the big difference between the violinist thought experiment and the milk machine thought experiment is what options are available to the woman to escape this situation. With the violinist thought experiment, your options are to, I mean, hypothetically, you could kill the violinist. I mean, you could take a machete to him. That is one way to get out of the situation. Uh, you could wait it out the nine months or you can unhook, which is what Thompson argues you should be legally allowed to do. But with our milk machine thought experiment, that's not actually an option. The machine is set up in such a way that the only way you can escape the situation is to either kill the child or to wait it out. And this is much more analogous to pregnancy. The female pregnant body works in many ways like the milk machine. And I really realized this as I was myself pregnant thinking about this. You know, when you get pregnant, the body just automatically starts funneling nutrients to this other person, regardless of what you want it to do. It does this automatically without your consent or any conscious action on your part. The female body prioritizes sending nutrients to this baby so much so that if the mother's not eating enough, the mother will physically suffer long before the baby stops getting the nutrients it needs. It's kind of like the baby gets its first pick of everything, which is when you have born children, continues to be like that, <laughs> I can say from personal experience. So like the milk machine, with pregnancy, there isn't this like unhook and let the child die of natural causes option. And when you take that option out, it really does change people's intuitions on the situation. So what bodily rights arguments and Thompson's violinist thought experiment are doing is they're confusing choosing to not save someone with your body with actively killing someone. So in our society, we do not force people to save other people with their body. We don't force people to donate kidneys. We don't force people to donate blood. And in the violinist case, we don't force people to be life support for another person. And so in the case of the violinist, you should be allowed to unhook from the violinist and let the violinist die of its pre-existing kidney condition. So while you're not forced to save someone with your body, that is very different than actively killing someone, which is what abortion is. Abortion isn't merely unhooking and letting the child die of natural causes, it's it's actively killing an innocent person. So to recap everything we've covered in today's episode, if someone says something to you in a conversation that you think might be a bodily rights argument, you should first check with our bodily rights clarification question and ask, are you saying that even if it kills a person, it should be legal for a woman to have an abortion because of bodily autonomy? If they say yes, that it should be legal to have an abortion even if it kills a person because of bodily autonomy, you'll transition to responding with our bodily rights response. First, you'll need to build common ground, and then you'll present the milk machine thought experiment and say to the person, imagine a deranged man 
kidnaps a lactating woman so he can use her breast milk to feed his newborn. He hooks her up to a breast milk machine that will only release her once the newborn is weaned or dies. You'll then show the pro-choice person with a variation of our circumstance response that even though the newborn is using her body without her consent, it should still be illegal for her to kill this innocent newborn. You'd say to the pro-choice person, this newborn is using a woman's body without her consent, but we would agree that it should be illegal to kill the newborn because he's a person. While the fetus also uses a woman's body without her consent, do you see how at whatever point the fetus becomes a person, like the newborn, abortion should be illegal because it'd be killing a person? You'll then finish by refuting the initial analogy that spurred this whole discussion of bodily rights. So you'll say to the pro-choice person, do you see how choosing to not save someone with your body, as in the case with organ donation or the violinist thought experiment, is different than actively killing someone, like an abortion? Now, all of these steps that I've just described to you are on our bodily rights workbook page, which if you're on our email list, you should have already gotten emailed to you. If you're not on an email list, but you would like to receive all the free resources from the show, you can sign up at www.abortiondialogacademy.org slash podcast, or by clicking the link in the show notes below. Next week's episode is going to be on what do you say when the pro-choice person tells you that they think abortion should be legal because the fetus doesn't have a soul. How do you respond to this argument? If you're curious, tune in next week and I'll show you how. If you liked today's episode, you can help support the channel by leaving us a five-star review. Make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't yet, sign up for our podcast email list on our website. That's www.abortiondialogacademy.org slash podcast. That way you get all the training exercises from the show delivered right to your inbox. Now I will see all of you next Saturday as I continue to teach you how you can persuade someone to be pro-life in seven minutes. Until next week, God bless.